Apart from all that, it is great to be back with you guys. Really, really good. We came back into New Zealand. It was a little bit chilly. We've been used to 32 degrees, and we came back, and we go, it's half of that here. So it's just taking a little while to get adjusted, but it's superb to be back. So this morning, before we start, I want to pray. Father, you are the rock of our lives. You have instructed us through your word and through your spirit. And today I pray that you would help us as a family grow, move forward, progress in our Christian walk, to grow in the knowledge of your son Jesus and what he said. As we study your words Burn these into our hearts and minds that we may be able to be good witnesses for you, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody see it? Amen. Well, guys, if you cast your mind back a few weeks, I've been in a series on reasons for believing. And over the last few series, we saw the last thing I spoke to you about is Jesus Christ of Nazareth claimed and then he proved to be God predicted by the Old Testament, and his claims were in many forms. We looked at that. His actions included forgiving sins and assuming the authority of God to issue commands. And he was very unique because he accepted worship, which was reserved only for God. And then, not only the claims, he then proved he was God by fulfilling hundreds of specific messianic prophecies written hundreds of years in advance. So Jesus is the only person in history who fulfilled all of these prophecies. He also, by the way, lived a sinless life and performed miraculous deeds that no other founder of any other religion ever did. He predicted and accomplished his own resurrection from the dead. And these facts, if you go back and you didn't hear this, and if you're listening on the internet, you can go back and you can um, pick up some of those previous podcasts And therefore, we concluded, based on the previous eight weeks of lectures, that we looked at and concluded that Jesus was God. So, here's the question, though. And here's a challenge that you're going to get from your friends at university, Esther, and some of your friends at work. Is the Bible the only true religious book? Exclusivity. The only. Notice the narrowness of this claim. Here's another question you might get. Well, that's okay, but is the truth in other religious books, right? The Book of Mormon, the Quran. Are the truths in other religious books? And today we're going to look at this. If If there's truth in other religious books, would that even be a problem for us as Christians? Would it challenge your faith? Would it upset you? These are very valid questions that you and I need to answer. So today, I want you to consider these points before we dive into your notes. Just consider this. Stay with me. This is part of loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind. So consider these points. Anything that Jesus, who is God, teaches is true, right? Anything that God teaches is true. Jesus teaches. And since we've already established that God previously, is a morally perfect being and who cannot lie, and that Jesus both claimed and proved to be God, whatever Jesus teaches must be true. 
since he is God who cannot lie. And Jesus taught that the Bible is the Word of God. Therefore, the Bible is the Word of God. Now, there's an implication. Anything, this means that anything in any religious book cannot be true if it contradicts the Bible. Did you get that logic? If it contradicts it. Because contradictory truth claims cannot both be true. We looked at that week number one. In other words, because Jesus is God and because he taught the Bible is the word of God, if something contradicts the Bible, here's a very politically incorrect statement. It's wrong. It's false. It's a falsehood. So what exactly did Jesus teach about the Bible? Here's the first question. Jesus referred to the Old Testament with words like Scripture, like the Word of God, like the law and the prophets, and with the phrase, it is written. He was talking about this, the law and the prophets and Scriptures. Now, to the Jews, these terms were clear in references to the Old Testament, the law and the prophets. But what did Jesus have to say about the Old Testament? Is it God's Word? Because some people today especially liberal Christians, are going to try and tell you it's not. Jesus actually taught it is the Word of God in seven specific ways. So you may want to write these down as we go along. Number one, Jesus quoted the Old Testament as having divine authority. Divine, God-given authority. And many times Jesus quoted the Old Testament prefacing, um, prefacing the quote with, It is written. And he was talking about it's written where? In the Old Testament, in the Law and the Prophets. And you'll find that in Matthew 4.4. 4. Jesus answered when he was being tempted by the devil. He was quoting from Deuteronomy 8 verse 3. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And each time he said it is written, he is validating the authority, the divine authority of the Old Testament. It's important. He used it to rebuke the devil. He used those words to exhort the Jewish leaders. And he ex used it to e establish his own authority as being sent from God. So Jesus confirmed that the Old Testament's authority as the word of God. Number two, Jesus said that the scriptures are unbreakable. Unbreakable. Scripture, that's the Old Testament, could not be broken or set aside. You'll find that in John chapter 10 verse 35. And he taught also, Jesus, that the Word of God cannot fail in any manner. It's actually unbreakable. And as the psalmist said, your Word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Psalm 119, verse 89. Number three, Jesus also said the Scriptures are Imperishable. Literally, the word is indestructible, imperishable. He's saying God's plan will never change. Isn't that amazing? My plans change all the time. God's plans don't, though. Matthew 5, 18. I tell you the truth. Until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. That is saying that the Old Testament scriptures look forward to the one who would come and fulfill it. The whole Bible is about Jesus. From Genesis all the way through to Revelation. Everything prophesied in scripture will take place, it's saying there. And no promise or prophecy in the law will remain unfulfilled until everything is accomplished. 
Because God knows how it all fits together. Jesus also said, the Old Testament is true. And Jesus was correcting some of the Jewish religious leaders. And they were debating what happens when they were resurrected. In particular, debating the question, well, is the marriage in heaven? Now, Jesus said they were wrong if they believed in marriage after death. Jesus replied in Matthew twenty-two twenty-nine, in IV version, he replied, you are in error. You're wrong. Because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. He didn't say, well, the Old Testament. The Old Testament was not wrong. They were wrong. The Old Testament was true. The night he was betrayed, Jesus told his disciples that the word of God, the Old Testament, is truth. Because remember, the New Testament hadn't been written by then. John 17, 7, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth, referring to the Old Testament. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, verse 160, all your words are true. All your righteousness, uh, your righteous laws are eternal. Now, liberals today try to discount some parts of the Old Testament. You may have come across that. I have. But notice how Jesus, who was God, treated them as fact and as historically reliable. Speaking to a group of Pharisees one day, he said, At the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. That's Mark 10, 6. He was affirming that humankind is a separate creative act of God and did not evolve by natural forces. And they also was affirming that Adam and Eve were real people, historical, the first of their kind. That's what Jesus said. Second example, Jesus confirmed there was a flood in Noah's time. Matthew 24 says this, For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking. Marrying and giving a marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That's how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Notice, he validated that was a factual historical event. Number two, warning for us, he could come at any moment unannounced. People were caught unawares. Next, the Bible is scientifically accurate. Here's a great verse in Job 26, verse 7. Thousands of years ago, the Bible alone, that is, exclusively declared that the earth hangs freely suspended in space. That's in Job 26, 7. God stretches out the heavens over empty space, listen to this, and hangs the earth on nothing. On Nothing. Now, the surrounding views of the day had weird, ridiculous ideas of how, what the earth sat on. Others claimed it sat on the back of an elephant. That's what other people thought. No, 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 no. Scripture says you're wrong. That's the truth. Other people thought that it was held up by Atlas. They really believe that. No, no, no. This is the only source in historical um, documents that shows that the Scriptures clearly had it right. The Bible says God hangs the earth on nothing. That was inconceivable 
for the typical people of that day. Next, Jesus said, because the Jewish leaders have put their interpretation above God's word itself, well, you hear this sometimes, well, that's your interpretation, well, that's your interpretation. Be very careful. Let, let me give you a clear answer on that one later on. There is only one interpretation of a verse. But many applications sometimes. One interpretation. If you want to learn more about that, you need to go to Gerard's class that he's talking about how to read the Bible for all it's worth. Otherwise, you're going to get yourself in serious confusion. So, Jesus here is correcting the Jewish leaders because they have put their interpretations above God's word itself. And Jesus rebuked them. Matthew 15.3 records this. Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your traditions? Be very careful of traditions. Because the Bible out-trumps traditions all the time. The Bible out-trumps culture all the time. The Bible is transcultural. Mark 7.13. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. Well, this is the way we do it. Be careful. The Bible out-trumps all traditions. And Jesus showed that the Bible is the final supreme word on everything that it teaches. It's the authority on what we should believe and how we should behave. Let me say it again. It is the authority on what we should believe and how we should behave. Jesus said in the next scripture that the Old Testament spoke of him. In John 5.39, you diligently study the Scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These Scriptures that testify, these are the Scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me and have life. So the Jesus said the Old Testament Scriptures spoke about him. Now on several occasions he explained that his up and coming death and resurrection will be a fulfillment of Scripture. So Jesus said he came to fulfill the Old Testament prophecies. In Luke 18, 31, Jesus took the twelve aside and he told them, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be handed over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and insult him. They will spit on him. They'll flog him and kill him. And on the third day, he will rise again. So he treated the prophetic sections of the Old Testament as guarantees that these will be fulfilled. Now, according to Jesus, the Old Testament is from God. I hope you've gotten that. It can be trusted. It will not fail and it will not break. He had a very high view, the ultimate view. It's historically accurate and many of his prophecies were being fulfilled for the first time at his first coming. Therefore, since Jesus is God, we can trust what he says. And although Jesus never hesitated to point out the faults of the leaders, calling them hypocrites, brood of snakes, liars, effectively, blind guides who hurt the poor, he never charged them with when they copied out the Scriptures of corrupting the Scriptures. Never once. Instead, he affirmed the Scriptures' reliability. And that's a very important point. Is there any other evidence confirming the Old Testament? Well, yes, there are. I want to look at quickly at four lines of support of its trustworthiness. Previously, we've looked at the manuscript support for the New Testament. 
And evidence shows that the Old Testament is equally well preserved. Ancient manuscripts demonstrate the Old Testament has been copied accurately. You can see this. Some of you will see this next year when you come with us to Israel. Firstly, the Jewish scribes who copied the scriptures were very, very careful. They counted every single word, every letter, in every line. And they even located the middle letter in the center of each line and compared it to the manuscripts that were reproducing to see if everything lined up. For those of you in, uh, you in computer science and have dealt with barcodes, they use check digits, if you know what they are, check digits. If an error is found, the entire page, the entire page will be and sacked, destroyed. Second, in 1947, ancient copies of the Old Testament were discovered. What were these called? The Dead Sea Scrolls. And these are factual, historical evidence. National Geographic did a huge um, article on this. Google has a whole entire section of their, uh, their education um, part you can go on to, and you can look at those Dead Sea Scrolls, the actual ones that have been digitized, and as you move your cursor across, it will translate from Hebrew into English. You check it out. It is word for word. Stunning. Now, why is that important? Let's just choose one of the books that they found, Isaiah. It was one of the Old Testament longer books, they found a copy with all 66 chapters intact. Now, Shalaz confirmed the copy was word for word, and it was a 1,000 years older than any previously surviving copy. That shows you the veracity and the integrity of the copying process. You can check that out yourself. If people say that, you can point them to the Google site, and you can see that. Third, Benjamin um, Kinnicott, a Hebrew expert, did an extensive study to determine the Old Testament accuracy. His name was Benjamin Kinnicott. He studied 581 manuscripts. That's a fair few. Involving 280 million letters. That's a fair few. His conclusion, you can go read his own research article. The Old Testament has been reliably copied more than 99.98% of the time, and the rare mistakes are worth pronunciation and spelling. Not one, he says, affects the text's basic message. That is science you can take to the bank. Here's another one, archaeology. Archaeology has proved the Old Testament's historical reliability. Here are some of the things archaeologists have uncovered. The tomb of Abraham, again, next year, if you're coming with us, you can go see the tomb of Abraham and Sarah has been found in modern-day Hebron. Jews, Christians, and Muslims visit it today. The city of Jericho, you will see that next year as well. Its fallen walls are there for you to see with your own peepers have been uncovered in the exact spot the Bible describes. The cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, along with their charred homes. Now, this is a cool one, because my mate, Dr. Joseph Holland, has spent 13 summers in Sodom. Him and some other secular universities have been there for 13 years. There's something very interesting about that site. 
Apart from the foot, the, so excuse me, the meter of ash, he's written a whole book on this and peer-reviewed papers. They found this cool substance. What they do is when they're digging, they found this really strange glass-like substance. They sent it back to the U.S. for analysis. What is this? Charred remains and all that sort of stuff. But what is this? Went back to the U.S. Atomic Agency over there. It's a substance called tryptonite which has only been found one other place in the, in the whole world. That's where an atomic bomb has gone off and the heat has been so severe, it's almost crystallized this glass into the substance called tryptonite. Dr. Joseph Holden has written, Google it, about Sodom. Now, what's interesting about that is that his conclusion, because I sat there with my friend Mark Tyson, what the heck happened, mate? The current thinking is that, and by the way, this other, now we're all good, all adults in this room, uh, a lot of the people were literally truncated in half, cut, literally, just bodies, just severed in half. What they think happened at the moment with my friend Dr. Holland, Joseph Holland, is that a me- you know, talks about the sulfur and, and the fire and brimstone. They think it was actually a meteorite strike. So you can go read about that in your own time. I haven't got time to go through that now. Now, so you can see that. But my point is today, by the way, if any of you want to join Dr. Holland next summer to in the dig at Sodom, Write on your card, and we'll send it to him. They've got openings for you to join him. Any of you budding archaeologists, you can go see that. Here's another one. The tunnel Hezekiah um, built has been found. I walked through it twice. You can walk through that next year. You can see it yourself. So come along. King David's palace has been found. You'll see that as well. Now, here's the interesting point. No archaeological evidence has ever disproved any Old Testament claim. That's pretty stunning. Let's move on. Here's a good one. Here's a quote from a secular newspaper, U.S. News and World Report. In extraordinary ways, modern archaeology has affirmed the historical core of the Old and New Testaments, corroborating key portions of the other stories of Israel's patriarchs, the Exodus, and the Davidic monarchy, and the life and the times of Jesus. This is a secular newspaper. couple other fulfilled prophecies show that the Old Testament is true. Following the fall of Jerusalem in 650 BC, Israel was taken captive and marched all the way to Babylon, which is Iran today. It was a horrible time for the Jews and caused great despair. Yet Jeremiah prophesied that their captivity would last how many years? Seventy. And this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are complete for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise and bring you back to this place. Isaiah added to this prophecy saying that a man, and he specifically names a guy, Cyrus, hundreds of years before this happened, would eventually appear on the scene. And when he showed up, he would allow the Jews to return to their former homeland and rebuild their temple. Cyrus will save Jerusalem. Let it be rebuilt. There's his name. And of the temple let its foundations be laid. So Jerusalem to be rebuilt and the temple, the foundations to be relayed. These, like many other prophecies, were fulfilled in detail. And that is secular archaeological fact. Those of you who've done classics know about Cyrus. Then Ezra recorded that when the 70 years are over, next it would be. It says here, In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also to put it in writing. That's why we know, because we have some of those writings today. 
And here it is. This is what the king Cyrus, uh, Cyrus king of Persia says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me, look at this, to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Amazing. More recently, we've seen prophecies fulfilled when Israel became an independent nation, an independent state in 1948. Now, God had promised his people almost 3,000 years before that one day after the dispersion or the diaspora, he will bring them back to their own land. Deuteronomy 30 says this, Even if you have been banished to the most distant land under the heavens, from there the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back. He will bring you back to the land that belonged to your fathers, and you will take possession of it. Amazing. All those, to- all those years ago. And there's a couple of other bits here that I'd like to suggest to you. Number one is that men or women would have written the Old Testament very, very differently. There's a ring of authenticity to it. For example, would you write for the world to know that your husband got drunk and did unspeakable things? Noah got drunk. Abraham, he recorded his foibles too. He didn't trust God to fulfill his promise that his son would be born to him by his wife, so he helped God out. And he shacked up with his servant girl. With his wife's tick of approval. Big mistake. Listen, if God promises you something, be very, very, very careful not to move things. Because the reason why it got shifty and got itchy is because things were taking too long. And so he tried to make it happen in his own strength. Many an opportunity will come in your life and a promise that you feel God's made to you. Be careful you don't grab it and make it happen in your own strength. When God ordains a promise, God will fulfill it. Moses, why would you tell about him murdering? One of the great heroes of faith, he murdered the man. He hooked him. David, why would you tell, if you were writing this book, that he committed adultery? A man after God's own heart gives us hope, doesn't it? With Bathsheba. And then effectively had Uriah, her husband, murdered. Why would you put that in? See, what the Bible records, it doesn't condone, but it's honest and straightforward, unembellished. The Jews, Israel, were freed from, Israel, from Egypt and witnessed incredible miracles, but then quickly turned to idols, worshipping them, and even offering or stooping to the depths of offering their children on burning hot molten idols. To show their devotion. Prophets like Jonah were such a prophet, he ran away. He ran the other way. This is not a pretty picture, yet it's accurate and it portrays real people and real events. Why would anyone record a history of such moral and spiritual failures unless it was authentic and true? So the Old Testament can be trusted as a reliable, accurate, historical record that's been faithfully preserved. Now, I just want to finish up this as we close this out with what Jesus talked about the New Testament. The New Testament had not been written in Jesus' day. So on the night he was betrayed, he spoke to his disciples about what happened when he was gone, promising that his Holy Spirit would come and help them 
in four specific ways. And the result of these four promises would be the New Testament. Firstly, Jesus said the Holy Spirit would teach them all things. John 14, 26. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, from whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything that I have said to you. So Jesus promised here that the Spirit will be their teacher. He will teach them everything they need to know and that nothing will be held. The Holy Spirit is God's Spirit and God in the person of the Holy Spirit will personally teach his disciples. So what did Jesus teach about the New Testament? Second, Jesus said that not only would his Spirit teach them, but he would also guide them into all truth. John 16, 13, but when he, the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Nothing would be overlooked, all truth. What eventually became the New Testament would include everything the disciples needed to know and record. And the Spirit of God would direct them and reveal it to them. Third, Jesus promised his, the disciples that they will be reminded by his Spirit of everything that's seen and heard whilst he was with them, and he would bring it all back to their memory. John 14, 26 says this, But the counsel of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things, and will remind you. Boy, I wish I had that sometimes. <laughs> remind you of everything that I've said to you. Everything's a big word. Number four. Finally, Jesus told the disciples his Spirit would reveal future events to them what is yet to come. Peter and John would record prophetic events that God will one day fulfill, and they did so under the Spirit's inspiration and guidance. And the Bible says this in John 16, 13b, He will tell you what is yet to come, because God is outside of time. Now, the last night Jesus was alone with his disciples, before he was crucified, he laid the foundation for the New Testament. He told them that they will be the ones to record his words and the events of his life. And they will be given the ability to accurately recall what they'd seen and heard by the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is God. And the New Testament would be written and compiled under the guidance of God himself as the editor. So scholars agree that the New Testament was written in the first century when the apostles and the eyewitnesses were still alive. It's the only record coming from the time of the apostles that contains what they taught. Since Jesus promised he would lead them into all truth and bring things to their remembrance of what he taught, it follows that their writings are the fulfillment of his promise. And the Bible is finished. It is complete. We need no additional revelation from God. We have the whole story right there in the New Testament. So here's the conclusion. The conclusion is Jesus confirmed, firstly, the reliability of the Old Testament and the promise of the New Testament. Now remember, Jesus is God. The following statements are true because he is God. Whatever Jesus teaches is true. And Jesus taught the Bible is the word of God. Therefore, the Bible is the word of God. Now, this brings up a very important question. Since many people today believe there's truth in all religions. To answer it, we have to go back to the one of the first points that we made in this series. And in week two 
of this series, we saw that this contradictory truth claims cannot be true at the same time in the same sense. And we've seen that the Bible is true, so we have to extend that to any other book that contradicts it is false. So let's look, as we wrap this, at four specific areas which other religious books contradict the Bible. Specifically, what other religions teach about God, about Jesus, about his resurrection, and how we are saved, which is the guts of the gospel. So, what do other religions teach about God? Only the Bible says, only the Bible, this is unique and exclusive, that there is one knowable personal God existing, a theistic God. Pantheism says, well, a God force flows through everything. Contradiction. Polytheism says there are many different gods. For example, Hinduism. Contradiction. Buddhism denies the existence of one personal knowable God. Contradiction. So since the Bible is true, pantheism, polytheism, and Buddhism are wrong about the nature of God because they fundamentally contradict the Bible. What about Jesus? Now, the Bible teaches that Jesus is unique and eternal. And he's uniquely and eternally God. Jews, Hindus, Buddhists, and Muslims deny this. So never, ever, ever for a moment, you may have to endure it, but never swallow it. We are fundamentally different at the most basic foundational level. Pantheists and polytheists believe he was a man who became to realize he is God and that all people can become or realize that they are God. I've heard a recent Christian teacher try to say this in front of 1,600 people and nobody objected. I got up and walked out in this country. According to them, Jesus is not unique and he has not always been God. Mormonism, some of your friends will be Mormons, also teach that Jesus was a man, not God, who became God and that devout moments can also become gods. You will never become a God. God wants you to become God godly. Jehovah's Witnesses, fundamentally different, believe that Michael, Jesus, was Michael the archangel, a created being like him. Jesus was not a created being. All of these beliefs that I've just pointed out there fundamentally contradict the Bible. And if the Bible is true, and it is, these contradictory teachings are false. What do other religions teach about Jesus' resurrection? Well, Judaism and Buddhism and Islam deny that Jesus rose from the dead. Pantheism and polytheism and atheism deny any resurrection. Jehovah's Witnesses, who come to your door, teach that Jesus did not bodily rise from the dead. Rather, they allege only his spirit was raised, and the disciples only saw a recreated body. They did not see a risen Jesus in the same physical body in which he died which is completely contradictory to the Bible. So by denying the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, these religions and their documents contradict the Bible, which has been shown to be true. So don't fall for the lie. What do other religions teach about? This is the most important part about how we are saved. This chart I've put together here shows how unique the Christian claims are. These truths separate Christianity from all other religions. Christianity teaches that all people are sinners 
and that the penalty of sin is separation from God, cut off from the spiritual life force that gives life to all in this world. It also says that all the good works in the world cannot change this. None of us, not even the best of us, can undo the consequences of sin. But God, in his rich mercy, has done something about this. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid the penalty for our sin. On Next slide on point number four there. That he died in, his pl- in our place, shedding his blood and giving his life as a sacrifice for us. Nobody else has paid the price. He could do this because he is God. Perfect. A flawless sacrifice. And our sins can be forgiven because of what he has accomplished. Now we are saved from the penalty of sin when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We are saved by acknowledging that we are sinners and that we need the salvation that only he can provide. Salvation is in no other person. Not Buddha, not Muhammad, Nobody else, none of the Jewish rabbis, nothing. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. Romans 6, 23. And no human being could ever deserve or earn something like this. The price for that was Christ's death on the cross. And all we have to do is accept God's present to us. It's free, but you need to open the package. Now compare that to other religions that teach that good works are necessary for salvation. Please do not hear me wrong with that. Grace is the root and works are the fruit. That's the order. Hindus work hard to be good in order to be reincarnated into a better life next time around. Buddhists try to be moral people in hopes of being absorbed into nirvana. Muslims say prayers five times a day and fast and go on pilgrimages in in hopes of gaining paradise. Mormons hope they've been good enough to reach heaven's highest level. And Jehovah's Witness, well, those poor beggars, only think there's 144 going to be in heaven. 144,000 going to be in heaven. Crazy. Only Christianity teaches that we cannot earn salvation, which is point. Seven. You'll find that in Ephesians 2. Any faith that teaches you must earn the right to go to heaven or paradise contradicts the Bible. Therefore, other religions are wrong about how and why people get to heaven. Now, it's not hard to see that the texts of other religions contradict the key claims of Christian faith. The Vedas, the in Hinduism, and the Pali Canon in Buddhism, and the Quran in Islam, the Book of Mormon, and the Doctrine of the Covenants in Mormonism, the Watchtower's literature on the Jehovah's Witnesses, all contradict the Bible. And whatever they do, wherever they do that, they are absolutely incorrect. So then someone's going to say, well, that's a bit harsh. Well, truth is black and white. How about this? Don't other religions have teachings and beliefs that don't contradict the Bible? Well, in fact, most religions share a common, similar moral code. And this is because there's a reason for that. God has given all people a moral conscience. You can read about that in Romans chapter 2, verse 12 through 15. This is why there's that common moral code. 
Moral truth found anywhere is evidence of a moral lawmaker. The bottom line is this. The opposite of true is false. The Bible is true. Therefore, any claim from any source that contradicts it is false. So what have we learned? We've looked at three ways to respond to the question whether truth can be found in other religions. Number one, Jesus is God and God cannot lie. So whatever Jesus teaches is true, baseline. Number two, Jesus taught that the Bible is the Word of God, thus the Bible is the Word of God. And three, we reviewed that the law of God and contradiction and noted that because the Bible is the Word of God, anything that contradicts it cannot be true. The logic's unassailable there. What else have we learned? Number three, third, there can be truths in other faiths, for God has left the evidence of who he is in our conscience. Now, over the past seven or eight messages, we've been looking long and hard at the evidence that shows that Christianity is true. Now, it's not popular today to say that other religious books are wrong, but it's true. Contradictory truth claims cannot both be true, no matter who wants them to be. And that is a very sobering thought. There are people we know and that we love who are lost. And without God, are going to spend eternity without him. Many are willing not to, or willing, not willing to accept this. And many continue to believe that somehow all good people with sincere beliefs will be welcomed into heaven. That is not true, my friends. This is the final objection that we're going to come to next week. And it's summarized in this statement. Can good, sincere people get to heaven without making the choice to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior? In other words, is Jesus the only way to God. Father, thank you for this opportunity to look in depth at your word and about some of the important issues that are surfacing in conversations in our society today. Father, we do not want to be politically correct. We want to be biblically correct and we want to be correct in your eyes. Help us, Lord, discern truth from error, right from wrong. Father, we find that everything resolves in you, that you are the one that determines what's right and what's wrong. Because without you, Lord, it's just all personal opinion. Thank you for this time today. And thank you for our time to love, to worship you and your word, and to enjoy you. In Jesus' name, amen.